From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. This one, episode 251, we're diving into this ancient part of the brain, the amygdala. Really important to understand, super important to understand, if you want to better understand why you're feeling the way you're feeling. This overwhelming, sickening, dreadful feeling that is anxiety. What's going on internally? This opened my eyes to why I was in anxiety 24-7 when I used to suffer from generalized anxiety disorder. And when I learned about this, I realized that I have to figure out a solution to the anxiety rather than continuously focus on my symptoms and, you know, the doctor and Dr. Google and like, what you know, that was leading me nowhere and the reassurance and whatnot, right? But this ancient system is so damn old that to think that you have more control over it than it has over you is foolish because it has reflexive capabilities generated over our evolution to respond to the unknown. Now, this podcast came from a question sent in by Jerry. What is happening internally, he says, when that sickening, overwhelming anxiety hits you? It feels like I'm sucked into an internal spiral of dread. Now, Jerry, that's beautifully put. Couldn't have said it better myself. That spiral of dread. Now, I think it's like in Harry Potter coming into contact with Dementors, right? Dementors are a representation of fear, right? And it's beautifully constructed and imagined by J.K. Rowling. She put fear in embodied form, right? Because what happens when you come into contact with a fear? It's freeze, it's emotion, it's imagine, right? What happens when you come into contact with a Dementor? Well, everything gets cold and icy. That represents you freeze. It's, it's your prey animal, right? And the predator is lurking over you. You freeze in hopes that they don't see you. Or at the same time, it's this instinctual response before the reaction, right? It's like you freeze and then determine where to go from there. So when you come into contact with a Dementor, you freeze and then the emotion, fear, dread. And then it's the imagination is, well, oh my God, you know, when the Dementor is close, you know, it's it's sucking all of the the life out of you, which is true when you come to contact with fear because, you know, you, you become emotionally compromised and it drains you so quickly. And also you relive all of, you know, you don't relive, but all of your insecurities or like the 
the the most horrific thing imaginable comes to the mind when you come into contact with that fear, right? It's like the Dementor, well, Harry Potter coming in, you know, reliving the emotional memory of his parents or, you know, the worst things lurking within his unconscious mind. It's just coming, it's generating out from within him when he, when he's in, in, when he's in the presence of that Dementor. But, you know, I love how Rowling put all of these elements of fear in this embodied form that is a Dementor, right? And, you know, how Harry confronts a Dementor in the future, well, first of all, he has to voluntarily confront it behind the scenes to become braver, but also he has to generate a Patronus charm, which it requires you to switch the the horrific elements generated by the right hemisphere, the, the Im- imagistic representations of the unknown, you know, in, into empowering images to drive away the fear, right? And I think that's unbelievably brilliant. It's, it's brilliant, right? Because that's what, it makes sense. I mean, we constantly hang on to what's horrific in the unknown because, you know, the right hemisphere, when you go into a place of the unknown, it will populate the mind with potential things in the unknown that could do you in, right? And and you hold on to those. But what about possibility? What about the empowering the, the empowering elements of the right hemisphere that we don't tap into, but and we can. That's the thing. But today on this episode, let's look at this ancient brain structure, the amygdala, and how this fuels us in this innate response towards the unknown, this anxiety. If one is not familiar on how fear affects them and what to do when it pops its ugly head, then when it does, it overwhelms the person and it drives them into paralyzation, right? Because that's agoraphobia. It's like the Dementor is a representation of agoraphobia. Fear of fear itself, right? Harry Potter is more fearful of a Dementor than Voldemort. You know, and just think about that for a second. It, you know, the Dementor represents fear of fear itself, right? The things that populate the right hemisphere that is just utterly dreadful, right? The things unknown itself, oh, it's dreadful. And so agoraphobia is the outcome of someone who retreats back into their safe, confined space and they try to build walls around them so that they don't have to contend with the realities of existence. That's what Siddhartha does in the Buddha story. He comes into contact with the reality of existence, fear, and then he drives himself back into the castle, back into the kingdom, and 
shuts himself off from the fear, but then he later realizes that it's still lurking within him, the fear, so that then he later he later is driven by this fear to, well, move away from comfort and explore the fear in order to master the fear, which is what Harry Potter does. This is an archetypal theme of the hero story. Now, when in the unknown, the amygdala works by reflexively stimulating the mind-body to respond to the novelty. It's so reflexive. Now, it's time, this is what happens in the unknown, it's time to pay attention to what's relevant. Well, in a place you don't understand and completely unfamiliar, everything is relevant, and that makes sense. This almond-shaped structure in the brain is so damn old that it operates underneath all cognitive processes because it needs to, right? It's like when you're walking down a pathway and you see a branch that resembles a snake, but you don't you don't cognitively think, oh, that's a branch or a snake. You just immediately jump back. And this happens about, well, 12 milliseconds. That's, that's how quick this response is. You don't think about the stick or a snake. You just reflexively respond. And that's worth thinking about. If a certain situation in your life caused you pain, then this emotional part of the brain will hold on to these submodalities linked to the event. Right? So the situation, the smells, the feelings, the circumstances, the colors even, you know, what this situation represents. I mean, you know, I had had a panic attack in an art gallery, and then I had a panic attack at a mall, and then I had a panic attack in a classroom. Well, these are both different environments, but really not so different if you look more closely at them. They're all environments where you may feel trapped or judged by other people, you know, you're away from your safe zone. You're away from emergency personnel. You're away from the people that care about you and love you. You're away from those people. And you're in situations where you're in a crowd and, or you're in a situation where there's other people and they might look at you oddly or you don't want to embarrass yourself around these people and that's huge to understand. That's massive. So if someone has a panic attack on the subway, the amygdala goes, well, the sensations I felt, so the heart palpitations, the dizziness, the lack of control, the nausea, the perspiration, all of these things, that's overwhelming. That's not good. That That's a threat to my life, right? I might die. And at the same time, you know, I might embarrass myself in front of other people. So let's not encounter a situation like this again in the future. Let's avoid this. 
And so, yeah, you don't want to do that. So you retreat, but then you go back out into the world and then you're in another situation that's that's similar to the subway experience. And then the sensation pops up, the snake pops up, the reality of existence pops up. And then what do you do? It's like, oh my God, the anxiety response immediately, reflexively, 12 milliseconds comes up, right? It's so quick that it's like, oh my God, dread. What am I going to do? I can't be in this situation. I got to get out of here. And so you reflexively respond by a lot of people retreat. Right? A lot of people call up a loved one, you know, because the body is in threat detection mode. It needs a solution right away to the problem. But it's like, if you don't know you have anxiety, man, that's horrific because it's not like there's a lion in front of you. You're on the subway. There's no immediate danger. So you think, oh, I'm going crazy. I'm a weird person. I got a medical issue. It's like, what is going on? It's like, yeah, it's confusing. And so that person who's confused will get the heck out of there because they don't want to embarrass themselves. They don't want to faint and cause a scene. And, well, you know, they want to be around family or emergency personnel to assist them in this potential heart attack. So the amygdala stores this emotional memory and if any of the circumstances that initially generated your anxiety come about in the future, like that strange body sensation, heart palpitation, shallow shallow breathing or shallow depth of field, the amygdala will reflexively respond right? And that dread, that pain, that's a meta truth. I mean, what's more real than pain? Like there's no denying the existence. There's no, there's no denying the existence of pain. And each time it comes about, it feels like this one is the one that's going to potentially do you in. It feels unique every single time. It's very common. The amygdala receives information before the cortex, before our cognitive, more more evolved part of the brain, where we know that part of the brain is divided into the two hemispheres, the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. The left hemisphere is where we process words and language. And then the right hemisphere is where we generate imagistic representations of what lurks in the unknown and and you know you can look at the those two hemispheres as uh, order and chaos right the left hemisphere is where we can rationalize ourselves and and process the the then it may we can make the chaotic right hemisphere the unknown into something more known by planning by you know internal dialogue with ourselves and outwards towards somebody. But um, before we dive more into that, this information that the amygdala is receiving from the outside world, like sensory information, except for smell, is processed in the thalamus and sent to the cortex for interpretation. We already touched upon that before. You know, 
you don't cognitively think of the fear, you actually act in, in, in accordance to the unknown. And then you later process it as something narrative or something rational, right? But, and also I wanted to touch upon smell because smell bypasses the thalamus and goes directly to its dedicated area of the cortex. You know, sometimes you get a whiff of that smell and it generates a memory and it's very visual. It's very, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty visual and it's pretty powerful. That's for sure. But before we can cognitively process the meaning the amygdala receives this information and determines the validity and the significance of it is there a match between how the world presents itself and my desires because if there's a mismatch then that's negative emotion anxiety often doesn't make sense to the cortex. So reasoning anxiety away becomes difficult, but possible the more you practice this. That's what I'm talking about, the left hemisphere, because the cortex does have access to the amygdala. You can talk yourself out of extreme distress by generating some order out of the novelty generating order out of the novelty, right? I have a podcast called The 123 Guide to Panic Attacks where I talk about you can use short utterances to work your way through the unknown. If it kills me, let it kill me. So what? This is an opportunity to change. This is a challenge for me to grow and learn and develop. And stay in the environment when that amygdala is active so that you can make new associations. Because like I said before, the, the amygdala is making associations that all these sensations and what, uh, what's happening in my environment, that's dread and should be avoided. But if you stay there, you decide to voluntarily stay in that dread and then you see yourself surviving it. You don't drop dead. You don't fall into a crazy you know spiral of insanity you don't make a fool out of yourself hey maybe i'm capable of a lot more hey and you start to generate this self-respect you start to generate this bravery and that will bleed out into all these other areas of your life all these other areas that cause you fear the more you confront the fear and overcome it, the more you become the person, well, that confronts fear and conquers the fear. Encountering fear is a true test of our character. Like the Dementor who makes Harry Potter relive his worst memories. Fear brings about everything we don't want to acknowledge lurking in the shadow part of our psyche. Fear is mostly 
what is generated in the right hemisphere of the brain. Right? No wonder Harry is reliving these horrific memories when he encounters the, the Dementor. Because really, you know, the worst is what we imagine rather than what really happens in reality. How do we deal with the worst thing imaginable? Well, you have to confront it voluntarily. You can do that in the mind through reframing practices. And you do it practically in person by voluntarily confronting what you don't want to confront. And Harry does this with the Bogart Dementor. It's not a real Dementor. Just like when you visualize yourself conquering your worst fears in the mind, it's not really happening, but it's real enough. It's as real as anything, right? So that if you conquer it in the mind, then in reality, it won't be so bad and you can conquer it then. If you confront the ultimate fear of your life, then you develop the necessary bravery to confront and contend with the other snakes of existence. So if you fear a certain situation in your life, one thing you can do is ask yourself, was there an experience that could have taught me to fear this particular situation? And then, reframe that you can do it two ways like i said you can run through the experience in your mind's eye that's pretty powerful it's like harry training with the bogart dementor you go through the experience what would you like to happen how would you respond to this so that it doesn't have this control over you because fear takes control of you. And if you, well, if you continue down that road, it's paralyzing. But you have more control over your circumstances than you think. And also exposure therapy as well. And so the goal is, the, is for the amygdala to become bored of all elements of the situation that are making you fearful. And you can do this step by step. So if someone has a strong fear of flying, you start with a picture of an airplane until the amygdala gets bored of it. Then a day later, you, start, you, you, you then go to a picture of the inside of the airplane until the amygdala gets bored of it. And then you visualize yourself at the airport until you get bored of it. And then you've... Visualize yourself on the plane until you get bored of it. And then you show up in person in the parking lot of the airport until you get bored of it. And then you show up inside the airport until you get bored of it. And then you show up, you know, you you, you show up near the, the terminal of the plane and you, you kind of poke your head inside of the terminal and you look inside the plane until you get bored of it and, and so forth, right? Like that's one way for the amygdala to get bored of it. Or for me, 
I just showed up into the fear and I just rode the wave of, of, of extreme anxiety. That's called flooding, just showing up. And it's like, I'm just going to, you know, strap myself in, go for this flight. And hey, man, I'm just, I'm just going to deal with it. And I'm going to show myself that I'm more than I am. But also having a plan of action too, because, you know, you know, knowing how to deal with the anxiety is going to help, you know, those short utterances while you're in the midst of anxiety, taking deep breaths in the midst of anxiety, realizing that you have to stay and ride the wave in order to become braver than you are. And that's where I'm going to leave you on this podcast episode. Thank you everybody for being here. If you're interested in reframing I highly recommend the Anxiety Project program because I do have reframing exercises in there. I also do that during my one-on-one coaching. And you can view those coaching packages at unpluganxiety.com. Lastly, rise above anxiety. I'll see you next time. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.